Hello, and thanks for listening to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. I'm Joe Cotter. In this episode, we spoke with Dr. Catherine Cook. She's dedicated her career to breast cancer research, and now she's at the Wake Forest School of Medicine, where she's an assistant professor. Susanna, uh, why'd you want to chat with Catherine? Hey, Joe. Oh, my gosh. Catherine's research is so interesting. It's at this crosshairs of our interest in understanding risk factors for breast cancer, how we might protect ourselves from breast cancer, our knowledge about obesity and increased risk for breast cancer, and then a a really interesting piece that Catherine adds to the mix indicating that we have the potential to pass on an increased risk to breast cancer to our offspring uh, if we are ourselves obese. So uh, just fundamentally super interesting research, Um, but it has a happy (laughs) ending-ish, right? It has the happy ending that these are modifiable risk factors, but they're hard. These are hard things to do. But I, I love her take on her research that, you know, everybody doesn't have to run a marathon or do a thousand sit-ups a day. It's the small changes that we can make every day that can be impactful. So I think you'll really enjoy hearing about Catherine's research, her take on the big picture of her science, and what each of us can do every day, not only to be healthier ourselves, but to have healthier families. Thanks, Susanna. And now, Dr. Catherine Cook. Hey, Catherine. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. We are so excited to hear about your research. I think that the links between obesity and breast cancer and birth weight are not only fascinating, but something that a lot of us just don't know a lot about. So I think to level set, we'd love to hear just a summary in your own words of what you've been up to. Sure, I'd be happy to. Breast cancer is one of the most frequently diagnosed cancers in women, and there's been several studies that have showed that there's a very strong link between obesity and uh, increased risk of developing breast cancer as much as 50% in postmenopausal women. And furthermore, uh, these have recent studies that showed that even uh, a moderate weight loss such as losing 5% uh, after uh, menopause can reduce your uh, risk of developing breast cancer um, as much as 12%. So your weight uh, and obesity are important factors that can really impact your breast cancer risk. And so that studies are beginning to emerge that the timing of the weight gain is also very important to uh, determine the effect of obesity on breast cancer risk. And maternal obesity um, has increased likelihood of giving birth to an infant with a higher birth weight, and this higher birth weight is actually a risk factor for developing breast cancer later on in life. Um, And this also, along with the increased risk of developing breast cancer, there's an increased risk for breast cancer mortality. And so since half the pregnant women in the U.S. are actually overweight or obese, this is a significant impact on overall breast cancer risk. I guess the, the, the real take-home message is that obesity is one of the few uh, modifiable risk factors for uh, breast cancer, and that actually indicates an actionable item for an individual to pursue to lower their breast cancer risk. Wow, those are startling statistics. <laughs> My goodness. Um, <laughs> it's a little bit terrifying. 
It is a little bit terrifying, but it's also, I like the positive slant that you put on it, that these are actionable and modifiable risk factors. So we touched on risk. What about, I know that part of your research or risk for breast cancer, I know that part of your research is also around um, kind of resistance to breast cancer. Can you expand on that a little bit? So kind of the opposite of risk would be resistance, I guess. Right. So not only is it a risk factor for the development of breast cancer, but can it also impact outcome? And so uh, there's a, a reported threefold higher breast cancer mortality rate in women who are obese when diagnosed than uh, women that aren't obese. And so that kind of implicates obesity in either drug resistance uh, and survival. And so there's been studies that showed obese women treated with tamoxifen have a poor overall survival when compared to healthy weight women suggesting uh, impact of obesity on endocrine therapy resistance. And obesity is also a poor predictor of response in chemotherapy. And so having a higher body mass index, which is BMI, is actually associated with a less complete pathological response and a worsened survival rate in triple negative breast cancer patients uh, receiving anthracycline-based therapies. And so that's kind of the, the epidemiological data supporting the impact of obesity on, on breast cancer outcome and treatment. Um, and this is thought in the field um, is, is that obesity can modulate insulin, estrogens, and inflammation, and all of these signaling pathways are thought to be uh, key effectors on modulating therapeutic responsiveness. Wow. Uh, with all of that, I, I, can't, I can't imagine what you pick out to be the thing you worry about. I mean, the, the statement that you made that uh, you have a did you say a three-fourths higher mortality in obese women to breast cancer? Did I get that right? Three-fold higher breast cancer mortality rate in women who were obese uh, when they were diagnosed with breast cancer. Wow. Okay. Well, that may be it, but I'm wondering, with, with everything you think about, and I mean, we all know that obesity is prevalent in the United States, so... Is there one thing that kind of keeps you up at night that you really think about when you consider these statistics? Uh, I mean, the, the obesity statistics in the United States are staggering. Every year, the percent uh, adult percent obesity increases, and uh, childhood obesity is also on the rise. Mm. And so it's, it's well known that this is an epidemic in the United States, but it seems like any measures being put into place to address its health concerns are obviously not working. Um, so we really need, as a society, to address this unmet need um, of tackling obesity in the United States. So on that, and it's always easier, right? Action speaks so much louder than words. This is a hard, hard thing for any of us to tackle around diet and nutrition. It is. So what do you, when you, I know that you spend time speaking to women and women's groups. What do you share with them? What's kind of the light at the end of the tunnel or the hopeful message that you would share or maybe some actionable items? Right. So, I mean, moderation and healthy lifestyle are something that as an individual you can control. And so just getting out and exercising more. I mean, you don't need to be a marathon runner. Just stay active to the best of your ability. Choosing moderation with your eating habits. These fad diets that you hear about in the news, they aren't healthy. However, just reducing some of the fat intake and sugar intake in your diet can really have drastic impacts to improve your metabolic health. And these are all little steps that you can take that really, really will help you in the long run. 
So, Catherine, I one of the things I think is so interesting about what you do that is it's startling, but it is again something we can take action around. I'd love for you to talk to us a little bit about your findings specifically related to breast cancer, obesity, and pregnancy, because we all want to be good mamas. We want to do the best we can, even from the beginning. So, share with us a little bit about what you found. Sure. Um, our data indicates that early life nutrition, and so that's maternal nutrition up to breastfeeding, and that can have long-term outcomes on the metabolic health of daughters, um, which can impact their breast cancer risk. So we have preclinical um, urine models that show mothers that are consuming a high-fat diet that their daughters, even when they're placed on a low-fat diet, have increased abdominal fat, increased uh, visceral adiposity, they have elevated fasting blood glucose, and then when we expose these, these daughters to a carcinogen, they actually have a twofold higher increase in risk in developing uh, breast tumors. Um, and so these, these mice that we use for our studies, at weaning, they're placed on a low-fat diet. So the daughters themselves are not exposed to a high-fat diet at all, but they still have increased breast cancer risk when we expose them to a carcinogen at adulthood. That's really interesting. So it's not only you are what you eat, but in this case, you are what your mama ate. Right. And so that's something that we've really kind of pursued is um, how this early life programming can affect uh, metabolic signaling to uh, impact inflammation and um, metabolism that really can affect breast cancer risk later on in life. Is that a message that you feel like resonates more with women and with communities is not only are you doing this for yourself, but you're doing this for your family or maybe your family that's yet to be? Definitely. I mean, we care a lot about our own health, but we also care a lot about our family's health. And the thought that you can take actionable items that could improve your offspring's health is definitely something of interest to pretty much everyone. We all want to know how we can improve the next generation, but sometimes improving the next generation is taking care of ourselves as well. Oh, I love that. That's a really fantastic outlook and kind of takeaway from what you're doing. So you've got a lot going on, but I'm really interested in when you think about kind of the new directions that your research is taking, what are you most excited about? Oh, yes. So we actually have had some very interesting data that came out of some of our studies this year. Um, we performed uh, untargeted metabolomics, and that's just kind of broad spectrum, what are the effects on metabolism in the body. And so by doing this, we actually identified that there was these microbial modified compounds that were regulated in some of these mice that were exposed to different diets early on in life. And so that kind of suggests that the um, microbiome could have an effect on regulating some of these pathways that could have impacts on inflammation and, and uh, glucose metabolism and, and breast cancer risk. And so we thought that was really interesting, and we pursued uh, that pathway by looking at um, the effects of these early life diets on the gut microbiome. And so even after these mice were on low-fat, these daughters were on low-fat diets for about 10 weeks, there was the mice from the high-fat diet-consuming mothers had significantly different microbiota populations in their gut, suggesting that there's like an early-life programming of the gut that persists until adulthood. 
And so this, this microbiome phenomenon is kind of very interesting in the field. And so the new estimates indicate that's about the 39 trillion bacteria living on or within your body, and that comprises of a, a microbiome. And so the human body only contains about 30 trillion cells. And so when you do that ratio, it means technically we're only 43% human. So it's really not surprising that the microbiome can have such a huge impact on human health and disease. Well, those numbers are huge. I don't, I don't know that I like walking around thinking about that there's more of them than there is of me, but... Right. Isn't that staggering? Um, and so we really should take care of our, our microbiome because we're more them than us, right? <laughs> wow. And so your messages around microbiome, that the influences that we can have on our microbiome are around, uh, or the, I guess the modifiable influences are around diet, physical activity. Uh, but there's a genetic component, too, that we know we necessarily can't control. So do you think that the, the modifiable versus unmodifiable, that there's still kind of hope to alter your microbiome in a way? Yeah, I really do believe that. Um, so genetics play a key role in, in developing breast cancer, but so does the environmental exposures. And that includes um, your diet and your physical activity and those things that you can control your, as an individual. And that can also impact your, your breast cancer risk and, and overall health. So out of everything that you do, is there something that kind of keeps you up at night? Like when you can't go to sleep or you're in the shower in the morning, the thing you're trying to work out in your head, what, what's your biggest challenge right now? And it might be around running your lab or around grant funding or around accrual <laughs> or, you know. Most young scientists up at night is how are you going to fund your lab? And, and, I, and lab funding is, of course, a concern to scientists. We have staff that we support. We have grad students that are the next generation of cancer researchers that we're, we're trying to educate and, and become the next generation of, of scientists to address these problems. And so, yeah, grant funding is a, a huge concern. But having funding from ACS, obviously, it was, it's key to some of my success in the lab. Research foundation and donors that really kind of drive individual research. My lab is actually 100% funded by, by uh, foundation and, and donations. We've had previous work from funding from the Prevent Cancer Foundation, Susan G. Komen, Metaviver, ACS, obviously. And all of these foundations have, have really kind of helped get my lab going and, and support the next generation. And these foundations, these research money by these foundations are, are given by donors and volunteers raising money for cancer research. And it's critical for our success in our labs, especially for early career faculty. And so really, I can, can't say thank you enough to the volunteers and donors out there that are really kind of supporting cancer research programs and sponsoring the next generation of cancer researchers. Well, we're awfully excited about what you're doing. I mean, your work is just fantastic. And the ACS, like many nonprofits, we do try to feel fill out uh, a niche that we feel we can be critical in. And for ACS, it's funding young investigators and maintaining that pipeline of brilliance <laughs> to really move move us along the continuum of, of cancer discovery. So we're awfully, 
we're glad you're excited about us, but we're awfully proud of you. So I think kind of just speaking of donors and I just kind of have one kind of last question and that would be if you could share a hopeful message if you were um, in an audience of breast cancer patients and all those folks who love them and are concerned about them or perhaps have lost someone to breast cancer, what would you share? Hmm. Well, there's been huge strides uh, made in the treatment of breast cancer and everyday researchers are learning new things to better understand and combat this disease. Talking with your physician to create a personalized treatment plan that is right for you is, is, is really important and also staying active and healthy to maintain and improve your health can be critical for, for long-term impacts. And so I really just say that take control. Um, you are not your disease. You are so much more than that and you can have an impact on the outcome. So stay positive, stay active, stay healthy. I guess that would be it. I love that. I love you are not your disease. That's a really uplifting message. But we've learned today from you, you may in fact be what you eat. <laughs> so <laughs> it sounds like you have a very positive message for what each of us can do to reduce both our risk, reduce our risk of recurrence, and potentially to change the outcomes um, of, that our future generations will have from breast cancer. So. Thank you so much. Is there any last message you'd like to share with us before I let you get back to what you're supposed to be doing in the lab? Oh, no. Um, just thank you so much for everything. I really appreciate the ACS and, and everything that you guys have done for supporting my career. And um, thanks again. Well, you are very welcome. And thanks for sharing some time with us. We'll talk to you soon, Catherine, okay? Have a good one. You too. Bye. Bye.